0: Independent studies have shown that compassion sponsorship really
1: works.
0: As they grow up, you have the opportunity to build a genuine friendship. You ensure they go to school. That's huge, because Compassion children are selected from the most vulnerable and disadvantaged. Without the opportunity to attend school, many children can expect a life of extreme poverty. As well as school, you send your child to the Compassion Project run by the local church. Here, your child has a safe place to play, they receive healthcare and the nutrition they need. They learn their true value and they learn to value others. <laughs> When you sponsor a child through Compassion, you don't just give them things, you give them their childhood, you give them love, you help them see that they do have a future and it can be bright. Compassion children are up to 40% more likely to finish secondary school, they're up to 80% more likely to complete university and they're up to 75% more likely to become community leaders.
1: Oh, my God. Oh,
0: my God. Oh, my God. What are you doing? Oh, my God. Oh,
1: Hey, good morning all across Northwest Georgia and up into the Tennessee area. I want to welcome all six of our locations. We are one church in multiple locations in multiple languages here at Rockbridge Community Church. And My name is Matt, and uh, just delighted and excited to welcome you here for a special weekend uh, in, in the history and the ministry of what we try to be and uh, what we try to do here at Rockbridge Community Church. Uh, speaking of what we try to be and what we try to do, let me intersect that with all of us here because every 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 single one of us here, whether you're religious and and a church person, or somebody just said, hey, you ought to come to church with me, or you're back in church, or you're considering Christianity, here's what we share in common. All of us really want to be, and we want to do something great. I mean, that word great, you want to hear, hey, if you're a mom, you want to hear, hey, that was a great meal, or you do a great job as a mom. If you're an athlete, you want to hear these words from your coach or your dad or your mom or some or your teammates, hey, great game. If you're in business, you, you want to hear great sale, great quarter, great great year. I mean, we just have this wiring that we want to be great and we want to do great, and there's nothing wrong with that because that, it was. we're going to see today. That desire to be great and to do great is actually God-given. I mean, nobody wants to say, hey, you did an average job on that test, right? Nobody wants to hear that. No, nobody wants to hear, hey, you're a, you're a below-average mom. Nobody wants to hear that. There's something in us where this word great is long and they come out of us, and we're going to try to activate that today because everybody here, everybody here, not just church people, not just Christian people, uh, everybody here wants to be and do something great. But what we're going to talk about today it, it, and where it's going to challenge us is it's a different kind of greatness. It's a different kind of uh, of greatness, and by different kind of greatness, let me let me extrapolate that and explain that this is not comparative greatness. You know, we have this acronym in the sports world called the GOAT, right, which stands the Greatest of All Time. And, and most greatness that we talk about in the world is compared to someone else you're a great baseball player. Compared to someone else, you're a great business person or a great leader. or a, And so you're really just greater or not as great as. And, and that really puts a lot of load on our soul, doesn't it? Because we're comparing ourselves and constantly trying to measure up to somebody's standard of greatness. Like this is what a great body looks like. This is what a great family ought to look like. And we're looking at social media and we're looking at People Magazine and we're looking at all these things and seeing if we compare. And that's not the kind. Of greatness I'm talking about. So so we got to divorce ourselves from that definition. Another kind of greatness that I'm not talking about is competent greatness. Competent greatness is the guy who's got a great fastball, the guy who's got a great sales pitch, uh, the, the person who's got a great apple pie that they can bake up, right? Competent greatness where you're great at something. Here's what I know about competent greatness, right? If you're great at something today Probably by tomorrow or on down the road, you won't be as great as someone else. And it kind of has a shelf life. It runs out. If you depend upon your body to be great at, sooner or later, your body won't be great at. At some point, you'll have to move on from being great at. So we're not talking about competent greatness. The kind of greatness I'm talking about today that we're going to invite ourselves into that that you really want to be a part of deep down in places maybe you don't talk about because it's not talked about in society is the kind of greatness God has in mind for you, and it's eternal greatness. Now, we're going to see a subset of this work itself out in a a chapter and a book of the Bible known as 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And the context here is we've got a poor church in Jerusalem that's suffering under a very, very, very harsh famine. And Paul writes a letter and he highlights the example of one church or a couple of churches in Macedonia to encourage this church at Corinth to do something great. And so we're going to use that to talk about this different kind of greatness that I think we're all wired, created to exhibit. In our lives. So here's what he says. He goes, We want you to know, brothers and sisters, and he's writing to the brothers and sisters at Corinth about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Now, grace is interesting because he's going to connect greatness to grace. Grace is God-given, undeserved. It's something God does for us, God does in us, and, and, and we don't earn it, we don't prove ourselves, we don't merit it, we don't, it, just, it just, it's a gift from God. But this grace shows up through these Macedonian churches. It says, during a severe trial brought about by an affliction, Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity, just giving of themselves. It overflowed. So notice the connection. God's grace to them resulted in generosity from them. Let me say that again. Do not miss this. God's grace to them resulted in an overflow of generosity from them. It was God-caused generosity. And Paul says, I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, nobody pressured them, nobody coerced them, nobody made them. They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints in helping this poor church in Jerusalem. So look what happened, right? So God does something to them. God's grace to them results in, in generosity from them, and that generosity is sharing to help some poor believers in the church at Jerusalem. So Paul sends this guy named Titus... And he goes to kind of complete this offering and this, this, this fund to help these poor Christians. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. There it is again. Now, as you excel in everything, so he's talking about matters of faith, matters of our, 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 their walk with Jesus. So we might say for this sermon Just as you're great in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence or devotion, and in your love for us, he says, excel also in this act of grace, this overflowing God's grace to you, generosity from you, through you, right? So be great at that. Be great at giving. So we're going to zoom out from this example and talk about true greatness for just a minute. True greatness, as we would see it here taught in Scripture and and, and this working itself out, true greatness is always leveraged for other people. The world wants we're, we're, We want to be great in the world, and usually that's directed back at ourselves. We want to be great at so we can make more money. We want to be great at so people can say, that a boy, that a girl. We want to be great at so we can get the promotion. We want to be great at so we get more likes on social media. Most of our greatness in the world that we're invited to share when we look on social media and we walk by People magazine and we look around us is greatness that comes back toward us. The greatness that we see exhibited by the Macedonian churches and the greatness that I believe we're called, created, and invited into today is greatness that is for others. Now, I have to be more specific about this word, others, and it is a dominant theme of the Bible that God calls His people to leverage themselves for the most vulnerable in the world, and specifically for the poor, All throughout Scripture, Proverbs 22, 9, the generous, remember where generosity comes from? God's grace to us, generosity through us, from us. The generous will themselves be blessed, for they will share their food with the poor. In Galatians 2.10, Paul is recounting how many people are becoming Christ followers. And, and that he's asking you know, questions of the apostles, the leaders of the church. Hey, what do we do? How do we handle this? And they say to him, keep doing what you're doing. Keep sharing the news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But they only ask we do one other thing. That we would remember the poor, which I had made every effort to do. So, so think about this. Think about this. You're part of a church... Church is growing. Church is baptizing people. We're putting people in small groups, teaching people how to live and be like Jesus, teaching people how to fulfill their purposes. We're seeing people delivered from addiction. We're seeing marriages healed, families restored. All that's going on, and we're like, hey, God, we're great, right? And God would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, I want to make sure, though, that you remember the poor, meaning you help the poor. And Paul would say, absolutely. They go hand in hand. Being a great church, being a great ministry goes hand in hand with being generous to the to the poor. Now, here's the crazy thing: this greatness is for others, and we see this greatness in Scripture. But here's the here's the amazing thing: this greatness is not commanded. So much, of, so much of what a lot of us think about church and religion is a bunch of thou shalts and thou shalt nots, and, and the pastor stands up here, and he's you know, beating people up. You ought to do this. You ought to not do this. And we're trying to make people feel guilty, and we're trying to shame people and guilt people. And guilt and shame are powerful motivators, aren't they? And, and, and so, but Paul's like, no, no, no. I, this is not commanded. Look what he even he goes so far. He says, I am not saying this as a command. So he's like, I, I want you to be great. For others, I want the grace of God to you to result in generosity through you. Grace of God to, generosity through, aimed at helping the most vulnerable, aimed at helping the poor. But Paul's like, I'm not going to command you to do this. I'm not going to make this up there with thou shalt not kill. So, what does he do? How, how do you get people to do something? How do you get people to do something sacrificial? How do you get people to do something not convenient? How do you get people to take something out of their abundance or their bank account and give it away to other people how do you get people to do that here's what paul does he points at one who did that he says for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ remember grace to you results in generosity through you to the most vulnerable that's the pattern so he points us to the ultimate pattern The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, what God did for you in Christ, what you did not deserve, you did not earn. And here's here's how he describes it. The best, clearest theological explanation of what Jesus did for us. Though he was rich, Christ was rich. He was rich in glory. He's eternal. He's worshiped in heaven. He's God. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. What does he do? For your sake. It's talking about for all of us and for the church at Corinth. For your sake, he became poor. Rich Jesus became poor. He was born to a teenage mom in a cow stall and in a feeding trough. He worked in a town that people made fun of because it was so small, so poor, and so insignificant. They would say, Jesus from
2: Nazareth?
1: Never had a job and he died a criminal's death on a cross, naked while they gambled for his clothes, walked by him, cussed him, shamed him, spit on him, helpless and poor. So he was rich, but he came poor, became poor, but he did it for a purpose. So rich, poor, purpose. Here's the purpose. So that by his poverty, all that he went through, all that he lived, how he died, you might become... For your sake, you might become rich with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see the pattern? Christ is rich. For our sakes, he becomes poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. So he says to Corinth, hey, you've got resources. Look at Jesus. Your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem don't have those resources. In fact, they're suffering mightily under a famine. So for their sake... Would you become less rich or would you become a little poorer so that they might have what they need just to get through the famine? So true greatness, what do we got now, right? It's not commanded. True greatness is for others and true greatness looks like Jesus. It's Christ-like. It's patterned. It's modeled after Christ. It's not modeled after the goat. It's not modeled after the people in the the Hall of Fame of your industry, of your sport. It's modeled after the one who, for your sake, became poor, so that we might become rich spiritually and eternally. Listen to how Jesus would talk about this. And he uses our, our word this morning. He says... Who is greater? He says, let's look at how the world looks at greatness. And this is the invitation. He says, who's greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? It's not, is it not the one who's at the table? So, so if you just stop there with that question mark, he says, look, the world would say when you go into a restaurant and you sit there and, and everybody's waiting on you or you go into a meeting and somebody's at the head of the table or you go to the Hall of Fame and everybody's like, oh, wow, look at him. Who, who's the greatest one? The one that's being served, the one that everybody's like, oh, wow, look at him. But he says, but I am among you as the one who serves. And Jesus is the greatest. And he's the one who serves. He's the one who was rich, but for our sakes became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich eternally and forever spiritually. So let me say a couple of things about this true greatness. First thing is this. This greatness is created. It's created. I, I don't get to take credit for, for, for what, what's created, right? Nobody gets to take credit for this kind of greatness because this greatness is created by God's work for us, by God's grace to us. So let me say it a couple of ways so you can understand what I'm talking about, okay? Before there was a you, there was something great for you to do. Before there was a you, there was something great for you to do. Remember I said we all have this desire to be great, to hear, hey, you're great. Hey that was great. Hey great game, great job, great meal, great friend, great mom, great dad. We all love that, right? We're wired to hear those words. And God had that in mind before he created you. Listen to Ephesians 2:10. You are God's masterpiece. If you've received the grace of God in Christ Jesus, the salvation of Jesus Christ, Jesus's salvation, you're God's masterpiece. He puts you together. He created us. Remember, true greatness is created. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. So previously, we lived for me, myself, and I. After we're born again, we're born great. We're a masterpiece, and we live for others. This greatness isn't commanded. It's created. And this greatness is modeled after the true great one, the true true goat, which is Jesus. So we can do the good things God planned for us long ago. So before he made us anew, he still had a plan. And when we receive the grace of God in Christ, we become a masterpiece. We're created to do good things that God planned for us long ago. So in one sense, what Paul is doing is he's saying, hey, be who you are. Do who you are. Just do it. Just go be you. Be you in Christ. Remember the churches in Macedonia back in verse 3 and 4, they begged us for the privilege of sharing. Paul didn't have to ask, he didn't have to guilt, he didn't guilt trip, he didn't command. They were just being who they were in Christ. Because in Christ, when it hits our heart that he who is rich for our sakes became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich, then we just go out and be that to the world. That's really what it means from last sermon series to be like Jesus. And so this greatness is reflective We're not the sun, S-U-N, we're the moon. The moon can never take credit for the light. We call it moonlight, but it's really a reflection of the sun's light. So God just takes all people like us in here who are God's masterpiece, created to do something great. We're wired for it. When we get the grace of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection into our hearts, into our minds, into our souls, that he who is rich, for my sake, for your sake, became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. When that hits our hearts, we just go reflect that in various ways, in various platforms, in various situations, all over the planet. All over the planet. And it reflects Jesus. Doesn't reflect Matt Evans, doesn't reflect Rockbridge reflects the one who for my sake and your sake became poor even though he was rich so that through his poverty we might become rich so it looks like this god's grace to us god does great through us and then glory goes back to him so it's not applause to me it's glory to him great through me as grace overflows So here's a prayer I want us to think about praying. Okay? God, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. God, as you have been to me, and and how has God been to me? He who is rich for our sakes became poor. So that through his poverty, I might become rich eternally. Now go and be the moon. Go and reflect true greatness. Whenever you see a need, whenever you have an opportunity, wherever God places you, wherever God positions you, God, as you have been to me, so I will be to others. And we have an opportunity to really answer that prayer today as the gospel of Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus works in us and through us. We have that opportunity, thankfully, because we have an amazing, reputable, incredible partner called Compassion International. And they give us an opportunity to meet needs in, uh, in, in one of the most impactful, if not the most impactful way right now to relieve and transform someone out of poverty which is child sponsorships that for 38 dollars a month i can help a child all the way around the world break out of extreme poverty my wife and i are just blessed and honored because we get to sponsor four kiddos here i'm i'm blessed that i've been able to go spend several weeks with them you know when i go to ethiopia this is my man, Ashinafi. He's a baller. This is Yabsura, and this is Sentayo. I've um, had, had the opportunity to be in their house. Uh, their mom makes some mean bread. It's amazing. Blesses me. The coffee's great. Uh, the love is better. And uh, he calls me dad. I go once a year, he calls me dad. I had the opportunity with uh, Ashinafi and a uh, birth father. had the opportunity to pray with him to make Jesus his Savior and Lord on one of the trips. Uh, last trip I was on, I went into this home, and there's this, this little boy named Notnael. He's got a uh, severe medical condition. And I went into the home, and I was broken. And uh, I, 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 I said, hey, I've got to sponsor that kid. Made a long-distance call to Beth. Costs like $20 a minute to make a long-distance call. I said, Beth, uh, by the time I hang up on this phone, we could have sponsored this kid twice. <laughs> and she's like, do it, do it, do it, you know. Uh, so we, d- we picked up our fourth, uh, our fourth compassion kit, and uh, we have that opportunity to do true greatness. And, and, and honestly, don't, this is not about uh, this guy. Um, this is just me or Christ in me. And uh, so we have that opportunity, and uh, we're privileged today that we're actually going to get to hear the story of a compassion alumnus who is, grew up in extreme poverty And because someone said, hey, because of God's grace to me, I want it to overflow in generosity to others, uh, she broke out of extreme poverty. We're going to play her video. She's going to join me on stage after that. So uh, let's meet Miss Olive and her story.
2: When the Lord's resistance army came to our homestead, I was very scared. We heard that they had begun burning homes in the next villages. We knew that we couldn't stay in the huts anymore. My name is Olive Anainu, I'm from Mochwini, a small town in Kitkum District, Uganda. I felt very helpless most of the time, hiding from town to town and sleeping in the forest and walking long distances with no shoes. My grandfather, keeping on saying, you gotta hold on, you gotta hold on. God will never change. He's still God. I felt betrayed because the Lord's Resistance Army were composed of people that you saw in the community, children that you knew, some of them you grew up with. And here are the same people who come in the villages, and they're the same ones who are killing and butchering people. I just could not understand it. I felt like I was losing everything. Things changed for us when I became involved in the Compassion program. It was my refuge. I knew everything was okay. Through the Compassion Programme, I was able to get my first pair of shoes, get a mattress to sleep on, get the best medical care that I needed after having suffered from tuberculosis. I was also able to to the best school. And all that started because someone believed in me. My life has changed only because someone believed that they could make a difference, that they could release a child from poverty. And I'm here only because Christ lives in me and Christ worked through my sponsors to transform me and to heal me. Compassion made it possible for me to be where I am today by giving me hope. I am a social worker right now in Georgia. I work with a lot of children that have uh, severe and emotional behaviors. It's a challenge, but looking back at the experiences that I've gone through, I look back and say, this was what I was meant to do. My name is Olive Aneno, and I am a life changed.
1: Hey, Robert, you help me welcome Olive here to uh, Rockbridge, and thank you for being with us. Hey, so, Olive, this is, uh, I don't know, the second or third time we've talked, and I'm going to ask you this. Every time you watch this and we talk, you tear up. Can you just explain your emotions as you just watch your story and, and even just come here and share it with us because it's just pure and it's authentic and I see it in your heart and in your eyes as we, as we talk about this story of a life changed.
2: It's a, it's a reminder always when I watch that video of uh, just the faithfulness of God because when I joined the Compassion Program, things were not easy. For two years, I was in a war-torn area and losing lots of my friends who were abducted and trained to become child soldiers. And so when I moved to the capital city, it was a very different place, a different language was spoken, and uh, I stayed with my mother, who also had her own struggles. And I remember this one Saturday morning, she handed me this dress that she had made from leftover nurse uniform material, and I wore the dress, and then she told me she was taking me to church. It was really hard for me to believe because at that point in time, she had rashes on her arms and her legs, and I didn't really believe that she was able to walk 12 kilometers to the church. But she showed me a strength that could only come from God. She walked with me. We got, we got to Kampala Baptist Church. And when we got there, there was a line on the left-hand side, and she told me to line up. So when I lined up, I had no idea what this line was about, but the line got shorter and shorter, and it was my turn. I was given this rectangular wooden board that had UG1270188, and a picture of me was taken. I had no idea that out of that picture they were making a child packet, just like the one I have in my hand. Now, my child packet ended up in a totally different continent, Australia, and a family was attending church just like today. And they raised up their hand and they got my packet. And when they got my packet, they wrote me my very first letter that said, we love you. We love children. And we will do everything in our power to release you from poverty in Jesus' name. They began writing to me consistently. But the most important thing for me was that The trauma that I had experienced started healing through the letters and the prayers. And I recall being in the program and sharing my letters with my friends. But I also remember that I was able to get shoes. I was able to get a bed. I was able to see the doctor for the very first time. And above all, the joy of salvation began returning into my life. Mm because when I accepted Christ at the age of five, that, that, that knowledge of Christ was tainted for the two years we were suffering. I also looked at my mother as she, her health began, began really deteriorating and um, my aunt took her to the hospital. And while in the hospital, my aunt Udias died due to meningitis that she contracted in the hospital. My mom had to be released back home. And when she came back home, my mom responded to the death of her sister in the form of a song that she sang over and over again. It is well. It is well with my soul. Mm. And those were my mother's last words. So you can imagine how upset I was. I began to think of why God was punishing me. But he still remained faithful. My compassion sponsors... We were able to write beautiful letters in response to the grief that I was going through. We had to move in with our cousins, they were five and we were three. So we were eight children living in a one bedroom home. And that home was a great reminder of what the church is supposed to do. The pastor would come at that home every week. The ladies would come to help us with homework The men would bring treats and food and play with us. It was in that home that we realized that the church really is meant to care for those that are unfortunate. The orphans. So when I watch that video, I am reminded of the faithfulness of God. I'm reminded that even if I was going through or I'm going through a difficult situation, God always still... And Will always have me in the palms of his hands. And uh, also, I got a scholarship to come to the U.S. This was about 17 years ago. And I began, began my journey of becoming a social worker. I mean, all that really could not have been possible if it wasn't ordained by God. Wow. And for me, it's a great responsibility. Really, every child... I mean, everyone, every child that is born does not choose where they are born. And we are in the United States of America for a reason. So much is expected of us. We have to reach other children with the gospel. See, physical poverty can be met, but spiritual poverty is crippling children turn away from God because of the physical poverty that they've experienced. It is up to us to choose one and share with them the gospel. And also, one more thing about the video when I watch it. I cry not because I'm sad, but because I think of how God was able to use $38 a month My life was worth $38 a month. And God used that to change me, to transform me, to share my testimony that we all have to extend the grace that God gave us through his son to others. I don't want to be the last one with the grace. Do not keep the grace. Keep the grace going. Share it.
1: Keep the grace going. Wow. Um, wow. Um, so, how would, you, um, how would you describe God? All you've been through, all you've seen, war-torn country, extreme poverty, a life-threatening illness, and yet here you sit. Pointing us to, to his grace, how would you describe God?
2: I would say God is my all, He is my all. When I wake up in the morning and my feet touch the ground, He's my all. There are people who are not able to do that, even when I get upset over someone at Starbucks messing up my order. <laughs> I'm still thankful for for God's presence. I remember being in the compassion program at the age of 15. I was in the hospital for a whole year because I suffered from tuberculosis. But even in the midst of that, he was still my all. Mm. I have become who I am because God was able to send different people in my life. If I was going astray, he sent someone to bring me right back on the path where he wanted me to be. And I'm so blessed that he's always carried me in the palms of his hands.
1: Amen. So, all of you sit here today, I, I believe, not by accident, but by God's grace and mercy and providence. And you, in many ways, represent uh, the, the, the children of the world in extreme poverty. And here we sit in Northwest Georgia and, and the Tennessee Valley. And uh, what would you say to us from your perspective? And on behalf of the millions of children that live on the brink of death and in extreme poverty, what would you say to us today?
2: I would say that we can end poverty. We can end poverty. And I want to say thank you to all the sponsors that are here. On behalf of the children that you sponsor, you will never know how much you mean to them. It might only be $38, but that is saving a life. About two years ago, I was in New York with my son, Felix. And after the conference session, he came and asked me, mom, you always talking about poverty. What is poverty? And I started whipping. And then he asked me, did I do something? It's like, no. Because that question you asked me is a fulfillment of the letter my sponsors wrote to me. That they would do everything in their power to release me from poverty in Jesus' name. And therefore, poverty ended with me. He doesn't know what going without food means. He doesn't know what it means to sleep in the bushes because of fear of being abducted. And he'll never know that because poverty ended with me. If you're sponsoring one child, I encourage you to sponsor another. It has blessed my life being a sponsor. I have two, one in Dominican Republic and one in Ethiopia, he's 19 years old. Please, do not let the grace end with you. It's a reason why you're in the US, it's a reason why you are at this church today, right now. One act sponsor one child thank you
1: thank you olive so in all of our campuses your uh, campus pastor or venue host is going to come out in just a moment and as she said and as we saw in god's word we don't let the grace end with us it overflows from us so god can do something through us and that for 38 dollars a month god can change a life God can break people out of extreme poverty in the name above all names. The name of our King and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Rockbridge. Let's do and let's be something great today in the name of Jesus.